Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. I've been reading the Bible and praying, which is not something I was brought up to do at all. But then my mom, my mom had cancer and she became a Catholic and some weird, very strange things happened that made me, even with a more logical mind, kind of question how I was thinking. And they all said, you have eight and a half months to 11 months and there's nothing you can do about it. And then she became religious (laughs) while in the hospital just like on the verge of death. She goes, oh, I'm going to be better by my anniversary with Jordan, August 18th, like specifically, and she had to have another surgery and then that surgery didn't work. And then three days after that surgery, everything just fixed itself. And it was August 18th. This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. This week, I have Michaela Peterson on the show. Michaela has a very popular podcast of her own called the Michaela Peterson Podcast. She is an entrepreneur. She has lots of different products coming out, which you'll end up hearing about in this episode. Uh, Her dad is Jordan Peterson. So for those of you out there that remember, I interviewed him a little while back. Naturally, Michaela is deep and fascinating like her dad and we had a conversation that was more of a conversation like we debated and talked about things and perspectives and I thought it was really fun sometimes the interviews tend to be question and answer and it was like we talked about things for a while and I just thought that that was really fun I've been kind of craving someone that I can do that with she has a special feature that she does on some episodes called opposing views so we talked about that we talked about religion and spirituality and you know how that all plays in and the things that she's trying to call in with it. And she's super fascinating and I recommend her podcast. Uh, But in the meantime, please enjoy this one. And of course, uh, please hit the subscribe button if you like this podcast or you like any others so that you get a notification when we have a new one drop. Do you like being in the States? I really like it. I really like Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool city. I mean, do you like country music? I love country music. I like Perfect. the vibe. The vibe here is really calm compared to Toronto. So mm. it's lovely. That's good. That's good. Um, well, and you, uh, I'm, I mean, I think of it like Nashville is a place where I feel like you get like a lot of bachelorette parties there and bachelor parties and you just turned 30. So did you like explore the town for your 30th birthday? I didn't actually. I don't really. I think I partied so much. I partied so much from like the ages of, I don't know, like 14 to 23, like that. I don't know. I like being near people. Like you can hear the, they're called woo buses. So everyone going like, woo down Broadway. (laughs) And I'm right. It's great. So I like hearing it, 
but no, I just like, I went out for dinner for my birthday and then stayed in, which was fantastic. That's awesome. Well, um, I don't feel like I really have to ask what you ate because you probably had steak or lamb, right? Lamb. Yep. Do you have a special place that you go to where they don't do anything to the meat and they keep things really simple or is it pretty safe to order anywhere? No, I usually have to call ahead to make sure, especially with lambs usually marinated and then that'll give me autoimmune symptoms, but there's an excellent restaurant called E3 chop house in Nashville. And it just, everything in there is amazing. It's everybody's favorite restaurant. And so they're really good for mm. people with allergies. Yeah. Okay. Well, a little bit more like, um, bigger question. You're 30. I feel like every decade you have a birthday. My, and I asked because my 40th is in a couple months. So like every 10 years, I feel like, you know, you have that sort of reflection point. So did you have that for yourself? And, and if you did, like, what do you look at at 30 years old and go, man, I took a long time to learn this lesson or wow, you know, I, I didn't realize that this was this way. Were there any big hindsight moments of perspective? I think mostly I just felt relief for my twenties being over. I think it most was like, Oh, okay. Something new can leave that period of time behind. So I think it was mostly relief and I don't know, I'm pretty happy right now. Like I'm more comfortable with myself. I was quite ill during a large portion of my twenties. So then that was a kind of write-off. And then my family was ill for like the last portion. And so this seems pretty, like, I'm pretty happy. It's like, that can go. We can never return to that. And then I'm, I'm pretty happy going forward. Um, I'm definitely more comfortable with who I am, I think. And I don't, I'm more confident, I guess. You know, it takes you a while to learn what you're capable of. And I think the last maybe five or six years has really taught me that I'm pretty, a pretty competent person. I'm feeling competent at the moment, I guess. Competent, confident. What gave you that perception shift? What did you look at differently that you're like, man, I, I, I didn't I, realize I was so good at this or I was. I've been, so I've been running my dad's brand since 2018, kind of when he shot up, I guess, I don't know, got popular online, went on tour and everything. And I've been taking care of like the business end and the brand end and PR and online products. And at the beginning, I don't have a business degree, right? I don't have a background in, in anything business related. So when I first started, there were a lot of talks with lawyers and people with business degrees about how to run things. And I always kind of thought, you, you know, social media is, I mean, you know, you have a podcast, but like social media is a bit different. You don't really get a business degree and learn how to use Instagram or do online marketing, right? So it took me years of listening to people and thinking, I'm not sure if that's quite right. And then seeing that play through and then being, I guess, being right about some major decisions. And then when those stacked up, um, I guess I got more confident. So it took a while, but after working with lots and lots and lots of people, um, turns out I'm, well, I guess I'm feeling pretty good about myself at the moment, but I'm having a good time and business is going well. And I think I have my head wrapped around kind of having an online business now. Did the stuff that you learned with your dad's business is, is it, are you using that on yours? And as that part of why you, I'm kind of curious why you have a podcast. Maybe that's the first question is about the podcast and, and why. Well, it started, so I didn't plan to have a podcast. I had this, like, I started in 20. 17 or 2016, just with a blog. 
And I was just writing down these weird food experiments I was doing for my autoimmune disorder. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. And so I started with the blog. I got a couple of podcast invitations from the blog just to talk about diet. Things really took off when Joe Rogan invited me on to talk about the carnivore diet. Mm -hmm. But then I was kind of niched into being a diet person. And Mm -hmm. I had zero interest in being a diet person. I was always like, like if there's anything well below zero interest, right. I always kind of scoffed at people who are gluten-free and like, you just didn't take anybody who had some sort of ideology surrounding diet seriously. I was like, yeah, vegans, you know, gluten-free people. I'm not one of them. Right. And then this autoimmune disorder being, you know, put into remission with this ridiculous diet. I was like, okay, well, that's great for me. I kind of feel like I have to talk about that, but I didn't want to be niched in. I certainly didn't want to be a diet person forever. And I, I think by the time I rolled around to having my own podcast, I'd been on a lot of other people's podcasts and somebody reached out and said, Oh, I'll produce your podcast. Like you'd be a good podcast host. I'll produce your podcast. Just give it a shot. And so I started, so I started just kind of out of curiosity and then I thought I could use it to also research some of my health issues to talk to the, you know, have the ability to talk to experts, which is an unbelievable, you know, blessing just to be able to reach out to people and talk to them. So I started it that way, but then I wasn't, I'm not super interested in, you know, I've kind of figured out my health, so I'm not really interested in talking about health. So I was like, okay, I'll delve into some other things. And, um, I started, I've got this series and this is what I find really interesting. It's opposing views. Mm-hmm. So I'll have, yeah, I, I'm, I really, really, really like opposing views. So one person on, they're usually generally extremes, uh, on a contentious issue, you know, like an abortion, you'd have someone who's very, very pro-choice and someone who's very, very pro-life. And then I'll have a conversation with both of them and try and ask them similar questions and try and stay in the middle ground. And part of the reason I wanted to do that was because In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. I grew up kind of, you know, I went to an art school. I went to a couple of art schools, so I grew up in a really more 
liberal, like very, very liberal community. And then my dad is more conservative. And I was like, there's this huge bridge between some of my friends and some of my conservative, like liberal friends and some of my conservative friends. And, you know, the other side, it, you can't just say, oh, well, the other side's crazy. Right. It's like it, each so, side's crazy then. Yeah. Everybody's crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know if that answers, that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question, but I think I just started, started it because partly it was COVID was isolating. It's like, I'm pretty extroverted. I wanted to talk to people and then just see where it goes. But the, the podcast takes maybe 10% of my time. Like I record a couple of times a week and then most of the production, the production's outsourced. Um, I have a social media person. So what takes up most of my time are, you know, products and brand management and PR and like legal for my dad's brand. So much bigger. Doesn't look like that on the outside, but. Oh no. I mean, I think your dad's brand appear. I mean, it comes, I mean, there's, there's books, there's tours, there's interviews, there's, I mean, he's selling, I mean, doing your uh, personality test. He has an online um, uh, lecture series that you can buy, which I did um, things like that. So no, it's, it does seem like a big business. And, um, um, but so no, I, I'm sure that there's, there's lots, I, I agree. I mean, I do the podcast and one comes out every week and I love doing it, but it's not necessarily a super dominant thing in time. I do, I do love the research part of it. Like I love learning about people before. Um, I'm curious about having these opposing views. Um, cause I've seen that with your podcast and, um, I think it's a fascinating topic um, to and a way to present an idea to people. So what do you end up finding in the end with most of these interviews that you sort of mediate between the two? Because I'm guessing like they probably go at it a little bit. You pose they're, questions. OK, so they're actually I thought having a debate. Actually, I was just stressed out about the idea of having a debate and so how it's structured is I'll talk to one person first mm -hmm. and then I'll separately talk to the other person. So they don't get to communicate with each other, which oh. makes, yeah. And so I've got some criticisms like, oh, it'd be better as a debate. But some of these arguments are so different that I don't even think we could have a useful conversation. Like, I don't think I could mediate between these. So huh. it's, I mean, I, yeah. I feel like part of my podcast and, and what it's like in the intro is that no matter who I talk to, you end up realizing that people are more alike than they are different. And I think that, you know, that's, I like to highlight that, show that and get into a deep enough conversation where we get to the point where it's like, you know, we all kind of want the same thing. I guess I use, you know, you could use COVID vaccines as an example. Like you get it because you want to be healthy and you don't get it because you want to be healthy. Like we're yeah. more alike than we are different. And so I think it'd be fascinating to have them like go head to head because, you know, it humanizes people. And, you know, just like, you know, in your experience, if you go head to head with somebody, like you both get humanized. And, you know, when you're face to face with somebody, even just like this, um, you know, you understand, you know, there's more compassion. We'll see. I'm going to, I'm really, really tempted to test it out. I think it would be entertaining, but some of these, like some of these people really hate each other, right? Like even the, so pro-choice and pro-life, for example, it's interesting because they're both arguing to keep, they're arguing on behalf of someone, right? They're both arguing on behalf of somebody else. Kind of, but, but it's their view too, but it's their view too, or they wouldn't be saying it. Yeah, this is true. 
But I mean, I mean, most of the arguments I think I've seen are from a place of compassion. Okay. I did an immigration one. Right. Mm -hmm. And and, and the one, the one guy who was pro-immigration was like, yeah, it's great for the economy. You bring talented people in, everybody spends more money. Right. And, And it benefits society as a whole. And the person, which that's a very simplified, you know, description of what he said. But then the other guy was like, oh no, if you bring immigrants in, then people who make less money, you know, you're talking about seriously low income people, then those people have a harder time finding jobs. It's not the rich people or the people with jobs that you really have to worry about. It's these people in low income neighborhoods that are actually at risk. Mm. And so mm-hmm. usually I think after the opposing views, I come away thinking, yeah, they're both kind of right. Like they're both kind of right, but they're not arguing about it exactly. They're arguing about two different parts of the same argument. It's, it's fascinating. Anyway, I really enjoy it. What do you, cause I know that uh, one of the things that you have confessed is that you're kind of in a con- contrarian. You love to, you know, you're disagreeable. Um, what is it about it that fascinates you when people don't agree or when you have opposing views? I think it's because usually going into those, I'm, you know, more on one side of it. And I would say generally speaking, I'm probably side more with the conservative initially. Like the idea I have of whatever the problem is, mm-hmm. um, I've noticed I probably have more of a conservative idea. And then going into it, I can, I'm not particularly, I don't think I'm particularly attached to ideas. I don't mind being wrong, right? I, it doesn't, you yeah. know, I think I've been wrong so many times that I don't care anymore, right? It's probably so, part of being open. When you're open, you're okay with being wrong because that's, it's like part of the inherent nature of being open. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it doesn't matter, right? As long as you're trying to figure out what's true. Does it matter? So are you, you like- you're almost like the beta test for the opposing views, to be more on one side generally, but then in the end, you end up realizing that the other side isn't wrong either. Like, I think you're your own beta test for how well it would go if opposing views came together. Cause then naturally there's probably a little bit of contentiousness, some sparks, and then essentially like it gets humanized. Yeah, this is true. But then when you look at YouTube comments, that's not what you get. You just get, you know, and I usually tell people like just (laughs) try and be reasonable in the comments because I'm trying to get people onto the show. So if, you know, one side is just constantly being more attacked, then people are less likely to say say yes, coming on, because why would anyone want to come onto a show where they're just going to get attacked? Right. So like, just keep it down. But, uh, people are, people can be pretty one-sided, right. And just not understand the other side at all. So your hope would be that you'd listen to it and go, okay, you know, these are both people and maybe, they both have points, even though I don't agree with all of them, but I don't know how well the average person does that. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be in the situation we're in with COVID and with politics that we are right now. Like there's obviously some sort of gap between people's ability to understand the other side. What's the, what's the disconnect? I'm, I'm naturally an open-minded person. I love to, I don't mind being wrong either. If someone says something and I can change my mind, that's fine. I actually look at his progress. Like I can learn and get smarter. Yeah. And, um, what, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the issue with people being so hard headed and have such cognitive dissonance around issues? Like, where does that, where does that come from? And is it something that actually needs to be solved or not? Hmm. Did you ever do one of dad's personalities tests? I actually did. <laughs> okay. And is your openness like off the charts? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I'd have to look at the percentage of what it was, but I don't know. I, I remember it being very high. 
Yeah. So I, I think, I think for more open people, then they can go either way. And I think the percentage of the, you know, if you scored like 85th or above or something like ridiculously high, people who are at the 50th percentile are so much lower than that. I think it's difficult to understand. Like, um, I know the type of person I have a difficult time understanding and it's someone who doesn't really want to do things like they'd rather stay home. They're not as interested in meeting new people, right? They're not particularly interested in ideas. And I think the, if you just look at the personality scale, the average person just isn't that interested in changing their mind. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I don't, and I don't even think that's something you can learn. So I'm not even entirely sure how to fix that problem. Right. If it's not, if it's just kind of human nature as an average, I don't know, but I was trying to with opposing views, but I'm not sure if it's working to be honest, it's entertaining either way. I think it's a great format. And I love the idea of them going head to head because I think that like foundationally we're more alike than we are different. So I think it would be really entertaining to hear people go at it. And then of course, like, I think in the end, everybody ends up getting to the same place you do where you're like, Hmm, they're not wrong either. And then you go like, the truth is always in the middle. I mean, even if you look at politically, like people usually want the most democratic Republican and the most Republican Democrat, like people don't actually generally really want the ends of the spectrum. They want somewhere in the middle, but yet we call it one thing or another. And when we name things, it can't be anything else. Yeah. I completely agree. I don't know. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to try this in person, but some of these people have spent their entire lives arguing one point of view. Right. And, and they know each other, right? If, if all you do is focus on the immigration one, for example, if all you do is focus on how immigration is bad, you know, everybody who's telling people that immigration is good, you know, all of them and you don't like them already. Right. And, and so, and even the, when I had the abortion opposing views, like they knew who each other were and they didn't <laughs> like it. Like, so there's already they've spent so much time focused on one way of thinking mm-hmm. that putting that person in, in the room and trying to have a discussion with someone who thinks the opposite way would be interesting. I don't know if it would, I don't know what would happen. I'll have to do it eventually just to see. Do you think that as a culture, we are continuing to become more and more polarized? In our views. I mean, it looks that way, mm-hmm. right? But is it productive? Yeah. Well, it's definitely not productive, as you can tell just right. by I mean, I'm living in Nashville, right? Nashville's pretty conservative. Yeah. I went I went to and so I've and I've been to like parties here or just talking to people and they're pretty conservative. So you have yeah. people and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, if you know some of those COVID bills or like liberals come over here, like we have our guns. Like, oh, I was just going to say they have guns and they hunt. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then you go to, you know, areas in California and they're like, oh, you know, like rednecks, rednecks with guns. Like there's no, they, you know, they don't have any brains. They don't know what they're talking about. They just follow fake news. Right. And they just, I don't know how those, like, I don't know how those type of people can get along. Yeah, I just think it's getting worse. I think the polarization is getting worse and it gets harder and harder for people to hear each other and be open minded. And I think a remedy is being able to have that conversation. I think your dad talks about that a ton. Your dad talks about being able to actually have the conversation. Right. It's like, yeah, to be able to talk to each other. I don't know if I would know how to navigate that. What do you do when one person starts like hammering it out at the other on the other person? You're just like, okay, stop. Everybody breathe. Take a breath. 
take a breath, guys. Stop talking. Stop talking. This is where your mom's tricks come in because your mom's super spiritual. And you're like, okay, everybody take your deep breaths. Close your eyes. Yoga. Yeah. (laughs) Yoga breaths. (laughs) Right. Right. But I think it's fascinating. I think we're in a, we're just like cultures in this place that's not getting seemingly not getting better. It's getting worse, at least from, um, you know, polarized perspectives and um, division. It's like, you know, uh, divide and conquer takes on a new meaning. Like you'd think, I used to think divide and conquer was all about, you know, uh, divide up the work and we all get more done. But divide and conquer is far (laughs) more about like when people can't agree, you actually suppress the whole thing and then someone else can be in charge. Do you think things were getting better before COVID? Hmm. Not that it matters now, but yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think that it's probably been either. I think it's steady. I don't think it was better before COVID. It was better than before COVID. But I think that also sometimes what ends up having to happen is there has to be like such a huge swing in another direction to kind of get people to take stock and have a look at everything. And, you know, when something is so in your face, you end up having to finally look at it and make a decision for yourself. And um, so I, I think that, and I, I personally think that we're being asked to look within and use our own inner guidance and our own emotional body as a more of an indicator of truth versus, you know, the media outlet or the newspaper or the television program or anything like that, because, we're just having a hard time struggling. We're struggling with what's real and what's not. So, um, but I don't think it was better. I I agree with what you said. I think it wasn't getting better. Yeah. Okay. From, from my point of view for that, it, at least in Canada, it looked like thing. And that could have been because of my dad and all the controversy that happened with him in like 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm. But I thought like 2018, 2019, I thought things were kind of calming down. Like I thought we were hearing about less fewer problems, but then COVID skyrocketed everything. I think every four years we get a problem, you know, every four years we get the great divider, right? Like the color divider and, you know, people like TV gets obnoxious and there's ads on TV all day about your local government or your, you know, or national government with the president. And, you know, Biden was a divider and Trump was a divider and, you know, like seemingly more than normal. Yeah. I think your point too about having to look within kind of for guidance is a, is a smart point because I think people underestimate the value of it intuition. Right. And it like, um, I had an, a hard time wrapping my mind around intuition because I always thought about things like logically, whatever that means, right. Whatever I could actually factually see and then kind of balancing that out in my head. And then even though I had this gut instinct most of the time where it was like, okay, logically this makes sense, but my gut's like pulling me in the other direction real hard. So mm-hmm. what's, what's going on there. And I think what happens is people are really good at pat- recognizing patterns that they can't put into words. Mm. And so if you get this feeling where you're like, no, something's off, it's because you've identified a whole bunch of patterns out there and you haven't figured it out enough, I guess, to put it into words. Uh, so I'd say intuition is definitely I at least undervalued it. And now that I've been kind of going more off, no, no, no. I feel like, like, I'm, I'm sure this is right in my body. And I don't know if women are better at that than men or if people just 
kind of, I think I stuffed it down and ignored it for a long time without valuing it. But my life's definitely been going better since I started being like, no, my gut's saying do this. I'll just go for it. That's good. What are some, what are some experiences where you look back and think if I would have listened to this, this would have been different. Relationships mostly, I think. Yeah. Being like, you know, I can't think about it. It doesn't make sense in my head, but it doesn't feel good. And I guess relationships are an easy thing to point out because that's where you get a lot of that instinct. But I would say probably relationships and then some business opportunities that I thought were a bad idea that were, that I was like, but kind of maybe more pushed into Mm. because there was no law. I couldn't come up with an explanation about why it was a bad idea. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this just doesn't feel right, which is not a good argument. If you're, if you're trying to make your argument, it's my intuition is just not a good argument. Especially if you're talking to a man, they're like, um, yeah, yeah. See the numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm generalizing. Like I always feel like, you know, obviously I had a very long conversation about polarizing. So we're kind of, I'm using generalities here, but men tend to be a little bit more um, analytical, a little bit more by the numbers, a little bit more, a little bit more headspace instead of body. And, um, and yeah, I'm sure talking to a guy and saying, I don't know, dude, just doesn't feel right. Let's I can't do this. You know, let's, let's pull out. (laughs) That doesn't go over well. Yeah. And I I think the fact that you know, generally speaking, men are, well, at least known for being better, you know, thinking about things in numbers like that. I think that's part of the reason I kind of dampened down my feelings as well, you know, growing up and probably as a, in my twenties, which was, you know, my entire life. So I'd say early twenties, but I probably, you know, whenever I had this feeling, it was like, well, if I can't put it into words, it doesn't matter. Mm. And it took me until I, I think I was 28, maybe, or maybe 27, 27 or 28 before I was like, you know what, that does matter. And maybe focusing on it will actually improve my life because maybe it wasn't until I thought maybe I was picking up on patterns that I recognized, but couldn't put into words. And that's what intuition is. I don't even know Mm -hmm. if that's right or not, but yeah, I think the fact that that numbers and thinking about things logically are more is more associated with men made me yeah. dampen down that kind of part of me. Yeah, I think patterns or frequency. I think of a lot of things in terms of frequency. The old Nikola Tesla famous quote, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, vibration and frequency. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Okay, okay. Tell me what that means. Just that everything is an energy. Like we are an energy, everything has an energy. And so, um, and then understanding in quantum physics, we're not dealing with um, the things that can be seen and that everything is connected and quantum entanglement is the word for that. And that we can, we also, so we can really feel things, even though you can't see the connection, there's threads connecting, there's energetic connections and that we're energy. And so we're kind of creating wave patterns and these wave patterns interact, interact with each other being other people. And so we're getting feedback on our surrounding, on our, on our, on what we're dealing with. We're getting feedback on that. And I think that that can happen at a distance or right next to each other um, yeah. because it's energetic and it's all that quantum physics stuff that I'm fascinated with, but definitely don't understand well enough. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You're, you're picking up on patterns, but because the pattern could be a pattern of frequency. Mm, Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. I don't understand that either, but there's definitely something to that because you have, it happens when you have conversations with people too, right? You can have a conversation with something and something's just off. 
you're like, this is off and nothing seems to be going wrong, but something is not good here. Right. Yeah. And it, and then you can have a conversation with someone or be near someone where it's like, this is comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I always was like, maybe it's like smell or I don't know what it is exactly, but it's weird. Where do you feel like you pick up more of your nature, your inherent nature? Um, we talked a little bit about parents, but like they're kind of the foundation for all of our, all of our good and all of our bad and all of our, all of our own patterns. Um, <clears throat> are you more, I'm guessing you're more like your dad because, you know, from what I understand about your mom and my watching things and listening is that she's pretty and she's pretty into the spiritual intuitive realm and, Um, and so, you know, being analytical is not necessarily her nature. So, and I, you strike me as someone that's a little bit more analytical. Yeah, I would say probably, I think maybe the older I get, the more I recognize parts of my mom in me, but I'd say, yeah, it is cool. It is cool. Um, but I'd say probably like 70% dad, like, um, part of the reason I've been running his business is because when when something's off, I can, you know, I can look at something and say, this is not going to be okay with him. Right. This is not going to be okay with him. And it's spot on all the time. (laughs) And it's, it's anything from, you know, business deals to thumbnails or to how something's written. Right. Um, where I'm like, that's off and he's going to pick up on that, or that doesn't sound right. And that's going to bug him. It's mostly that like, that's going to bug him. (laughs) Um, So I think that's why I got involved in running his business. But like I said, the older I get, the more I see parts of mom. And I think the more I value those parts. Yeah. Do you think that is because your dad, your dad's nature, which is more dominant in you at this point has been rewarded in different ways that are more quantifiable? Probably like probably, I mean, I was, you know, and I, th- I think that's pretty normal for getting rewarded for grades and, and accomplishments that, yeah, for sure. That that's easier to reward too. And that's always what I, and I don't know if that's how I was brought up or if that's just what I'm like, but I always thought that that was more important. You know, whatever I can accomplish, whatever I can accomplish, you know, look what I did type of thing rather than mom's side. I don't know. She's definitely different than me. Like we don't think in the same way, but her way is definitely working for her. She seems pretty happy. She's just very content. Stable. Yeah. She's just unbelievable. Yeah. Content. She's just okay with things. She goes with the flow and she's, you know, if things are happening, I'd say she goes with the flow. She goes with the flow way more than me. Right. If something's happening, I'm like, nah, this doesn't have to happen this way. Like this can be changed a little bit. Let's just, you know, curve, curve this problem into something else. And mom is kind of just like, no, if it's happening, it's meant to happen. Right. Which I think is a much calmer way to live, but I definitely don't do that. Allowing is hard as hell. Yeah. Especially if it's, it's kind of blurry about if it's possible to change it. Right. If it's not possible, then I'm like, okay, if it's, if I can't do anything about it, that's fine then. Right. I'm not going to have an issue there. But if there's like a little bit that I could do to change this, then I'm not that comfortable with just sitting and I waiting get really, to see what happens. The whole Eckhart Tolle, like be here now, like yeah. the present moment is very freaking hard because I feel, and maybe you feel similar, maybe 
I don't do anything there. And you just live in the, <laughs> hang on. He's like, and like when he talks, he's like, okay, just be present from now until now. And you're like, I did nothing during that little second there that we waited. You know, there's nothing happening in that moment, but I understand the value of releasing the energy and releasing things and not forcing. And it's like, yeah, how, how do you, well, how, what's your decision-making process or your discernment between, you know, forcing things and having that like, well, no, we can do that better versus more of mom's nature of allowing and content and letting things go. Like, how do you look at that now? Because I find this to be very hard. Like, what do I, what do I effort for? And knowing that growth comes from effort and struggle. I mean, I, I do believe that too, is yeah. that nothing, you know, nothing really shifts and change unless there's real pain in there. Yeah, there has to be some struggle, but yet the, the, the word is like, be here now and be present and let everything go. And, you know, don't force things and don't effort. It's like such a hard conundrum. I have great difficulty with that. I would say I err on the uh, side of just trying to, you know, make things go in the direction I think they should go. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten better more recently. Um, more recently I've, been reading the Bible and praying, which is not something I was brought up to do at all. But then my mom, my mom had cancer and she became a Catholic during that period of time. And some weird, very strange things happened that made me, even with a more logical mind, kind of question how I was thinking. So she was, like, she, was she was, well, she was diagnosed with cancer and we went to a whole bunch of different specialists, obviously all over North America. And they all said, you have eight and a half months to 11 months and there's nothing you can do about it. And it was a very rare, like absurdly, like you'd see in the movie rare type of cancer where it's like, oh yeah, 30 people have had this and they all die. It was like, really? She had to get that one. Right. So that happened. That was weird. And that was after, you know, my dad kind of sprung to fame or whatever you want to call it. So that had, we were already living in a place that was weird. And then my mom got diagnosed um, incorrectly. And then she got diagnosed with the really bad one. And then over the summer she had surgery and then the surgery got botched and she got injured. And then that almost killed her. And she was like, and then she became religious <laughs> while in the hospital, just like on the verge of death. It was awful. And she goes, oh, I'm going to be better by my anniversary with Jordan, which is August 18th. And it was like the beginning of July. And we we're like, okay, mom. Within a month? Yeah, like a month and a half, right? She's like, I'll, I'll be better. August 18th, like specifically. And we're like, okay. And then she got flown down to the States and she had to have another surgery. And then that surgery didn't work. And then three days after that surgery, everything just fixed itself. And it was August 18th and my mom. Oh yeah. And my family, we were just like, okay, that literally makes no sense. Right. All the doctors ha had no idea why things just resolved. And my mom was like, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. Right. And so after that, I was like, <laughs> that's pretty weird. Like, that's pretty weird. Maybe did she get an intuition. She or did she like, manifest? Did she just decide I'm going to be better by this day? No, it was, I think it was intuition. Like she says it was God. That's what she says. So she, yeah, it was like an yeah. intuition type of thing. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. And so after that, I was like, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. Like, 
whatever happened there, I'm a fan of. And if, and my mom's been, she's right about things a lot without being able to explain them. Like when I was diagnosed with arthritis, when I was little, she really wanted me to look into diet and we did, right? Like I stopped eating sugar, which really didn't do anything. Like at one point I cut out just certain things because my mom was like, maybe this is fixable with diet. And my dad was always like, no, there's absolutely no evidence that diet has anything to do with autoimmunity. And so, and so did the doctors. That's what the doctor said. So I kind of believed that, but then it turned out it was fixable with diet, even though the diet is extreme. Um, and there, there are a number of things that have happened throughout my life where my mom just ends up being right, even though she can't explain how she knows. So it's very frustrating for her because it'll take 15 years and she'll have been saying, oh, do this. Oh, do this. But everyone's like, well, why? Right. And she can't explain why. And so that happens enough that, well, this thing happened, you know, with her surgery. And she was like, yeah, you know, God, you know, I've, I've been praying and, and all these things. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is one of the, the, one of those things where I just don't understand. And you were just picking up on something that I don't understand. So I guess I kind of looked around and talked to some people and tried to figure out how I could understand what was happening to her. And so since something clicked in August, something clicked in August. And I think for my you, life, are you talking about for you, for me, mm-hmm. for me? Yeah. Something clicked in August where I think there were a whole bunch of really bad things happening. Um, like my dad was really sick still. And it had been like a year and a half of him being ill. He was still really sick in August and I was going through a divorce. And then I had this business to run and it was really stressful. And they were all tangled up with each other. And so there were, it was four major problems and I was so overwhelmed. I wasn't depressed or anything. I was just like, this is not like, I can't keep living like this. It's too heavy. And something clicked in August where it was like, you know, whatever it was, it feels like God revealed himself to me. And Mm. so it seemed like the most logical explanation for how weird life is, was God which is still weird for me to say. But anyway, to get back to your question about how I handle figuring out what I'm capable of changing and what I'm not capable of changing, what I've been doing for the last four months is when I get to the point where I'm like, you know, should I push further? Like, am I doing the wrong thing? Or is there more I can do to perfect whatever I'm working on? Or, you know, countless examples. Um, I pray and wait. And that kind of I don't know what happens. I mean, maybe God's answering my prayers. Maybe it puts me in a state where I'm calm and can think clearly, but having something to go to, to say, or maybe, maybe it's that I'm actually outlining my problems and outlining what I want. Maybe it's that I'm being grateful. Like, I don't know what's going on, but that's allowed me to at least step back and think, well, step back and well, things seem to be working out better. So hooray for that. Wow. Thanks for sharing all that. That was, no, it's, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think there are so many people. I, I mean, I, I think everyone could probably say they could, they could be on board with wanting to know how to achieve the life that they want and yeah. how to get the right information. And it might not be the same for everyone. It might not even be called the same thing, you know, like your prayer could be called, you know, meditation for somebody, you know? Yeah. Um, and it might not be 
a God religion thing. It might be a spiritual thing. Um, it could be uh, many different things, but I think everybody's looking for that sort of direction and answer. Have you ever had any sort of mystical or transcendental moments where you experienced something that seemed like it was uh, other energy or, or took you to another place? Yeah, a lot. Wow. So this is also a, a lot. Um, and there were logical explanations for this too, but at some point, it, I don't know, at some point when this kind of thing happens so many times, I don't know if the logical explanation is actually logical. <laughs> so when I, <laughs> when I, um, first went into diet and put myself into remission for the arthritis and depression and chronic fatigue, I stopped taking all my medication because I was like, I was angry too, right. At the medical system that some of these things were preventable. It was like, okay, well, I'm never taking any medication like ever again, unless, you know, I absolutely need to, cause I'm going to die. Right. So I stopped taking everything and I went into, this is before I knew that you couldn't just stop taking antidepressants. If you'd been on them for a decade and a half, I went into, cause they said it was dangerous cause it's dangerous to stop or yeah, there are dependence forming. So mm-hmm. if you're on a, a psych med and this goes for any psych med, um, if you're on a psych med for a long time, especially if you're on a high dose for a long time, you have to wean off over like a period of two years without, so that your brain can adapt to not using the medication anymore. So even if the depression, underlying depression is gone, you can't just stop the medication. And I don't know how well known it is that things like SSRIs are, they're not addicted for a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Okay. So, so it's, it's the, like one of the typical antidepressants like Paxil or Prozac or something. Okay. Okay. But, um, they, they change your brain slightly. So they accustom to the drug, just like if you're on a, an opiate, like a painkiller, right. You can't just stop taking it. You have to wean down because your body adjusts to it. Mm. And this, this isn't widely known. I certainly didn't know it. Um, so I ended up putting myself into antidepressant withdrawal and it was absolutely awful for about two years. Cause you just stopped. I stopped over a two week period. Okay. Right. And I, I'd, I'd gotten off of Oxycontin when I had my hip and ankle replaced from the arthritis. Um, I was on Oxycontin for the pain. And so I was v- familiar with what that felt like. Mm-hmm. So when I stopped taking the antidepressant and that didn't happen, like I wasn't sweating, I wasn't nauseous. Um, I was like, okay, it's fine. So I just stopped taking it over a two week period and the antidepressant withdrawal didn't hit for another two weeks. And so I didn't know what it was. And what happened was I ended up having what the medical community would call like visual disturbances, but I full on hallucinated periodically for about a year where it was like once a month I'd see and what it looked like. This seems, this seems insane just talking about it. So it makes me a bit uncomfortable, but what it looked like was I'd see faces or something demonic. And what I assumed that was, was I was in this like state of panic from the antidepressant withdrawal. And I assumed my brain was just making up, making up things to, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of support the panic I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, if you're panicking, like you're running away from a wild animal and you get this kind of hallucination that there's some like scary looking teeth mouth thing, I was like, maybe that's the antidepressant withdrawal. And that's just how it's manifesting. And if you look at medical literature, you can see visual disturbances in, in antidepressant withdrawal, but like that happened, you know, 10 times where I was seeing like demonic faces. And then I've, 
had experiences where I've also felt, you know, like a sense of peace that didn't seem logical. So it, it goes in, in both directions. And at some point, like I said, in August, I was like, you know what, maybe just, maybe it's just God. Maybe, uh, maybe that's the most logical explanation for, for my life. And so I don't know. It's, it's strange because like I said, I've grown up my entire life being very logical. So I'm like, yeah, this is, I, new. I think that kind of talking about that whole pain and growth thing, my experience has been that the more painful things I experience, which you've experienced a lot of painful things, the more it kind of breaks me open to the other side of joy and bliss and happiness. And so, you know, more and more recently, I have those moments of like overwhelming joy that come and I could yeah. be almost nothing. Like I might be just be walking the dogs and I look yeah. at like the moss on the side of the road. That's so beautiful. And I'm just like, you know, like, and you just have this like overwhelming joy and like love, like the love wave wave comes over. You're just like, this is so nice. And like, you think nothing else really matters. And you just sort of like have these rose colored lenses on for, for a little bit. It doesn't last. It's not like I all of a sudden spend the rest of my day there. It'd be amazing, but it does not happen. But these moments of waves of joy. And I think it's because the more you the more you break open to one side, the more you realize the other, the more you can feel the other side. And it's in, I used to think that the experience of life was about duality and experiencing that. And what I realized is that it's actually like in the duality helps me realize the oneness because one has the other one, one, one action has a reaction, you know? So you get this perspective that, man, it's all, Mm. it's all connected. It's more of a circle than it's a, then it's an end of the stick kind of thing. So when you experience something really negative, you're like, okay, well, that means there's something positive out there to counteract this. Um, I wouldn't say it's direct. It's not as though I have that perspective. It's that I'm able to access the emotions of joy and the better, the better emotions a little bit um, more often. They come, they come randomly. It's not a, okay. it's not I a pain that. and joy. Yeah. And I wonder if that's maybe some of it because you've been through yeah. so much. Well, I definitely get that for sure. It's something's got to come from happens. all the shit. Like something's got to come <laughs> from the pain, right? Like it can't just be hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I don't do know, think- but I, I definitely, I, I definitely experienced that. And I, I haven't been able to figure out what it is either. Or it's just like, it's exactly the same thing. It's like overwhelming love feeling and calm. And just like, how is everything so good? Like, yeah, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. Yeah. I get that too. It's very strange. I got that the first time when I was 23 and that was when my, when I first started the diet and my my autoimmune symptoms went away, the depression Mm -hmm. went away and Mm -hmm. I had that. And it was just like, Whoa, I have never felt like this ever before. Not even close. Right. And that was, yeah, that was the first time. And then I didn't get it for a long time. 2018 was good. There's a lot there. And I'm in a good place now. I don't know what it is, but I, I understand that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I kind of want to shift into a little bit of like having an opinion and the repercussions of that um, or the benefit of that, like being a, a, being a disagreeable person everybody should go ahead and take, you know, her dad's 
personality test to understand where you fall in the scope of this, but being a disagreeable person, do, do you feel just as comfortable as ever being disagreeable and having opinions or do you not? Does it, or I'd does the world more. get to you? No, I'd say when I was, so I've gotten more vocal about my opinions and more comfortable. And like I said before, more con- uh, confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'd say that's just a positive feedback loop. Like the, the more, I wouldn't say have an opinion, but the more open I am with the opinion, I'm open to it changing too. Right. Like if I'm wrong and I, I have, if I have an opinion and I'm wrong, that's fine. I would like to know where I'm wrong anyway, so that I'm not like living some sort of lie. Right. Sure. So, so I'm, I'm open to learning, but I say the more um, I talk about it, the better I feel because I, I used to, especially when I was younger and less confident, uh, I would have, you know, thoughts or have, and I'm sure this goes for a lot of people, you have thoughts and have things you want to say, but you're not sure about how people will react or whether or not you're wrong, or if you're going to offend somebody and it's like, okay, maybe better to keep that to myself. But I don't think that that makes it go away. Right. I don't think not saying something makes it actually disappear. It's still out there. I don't know if it's out there in the form of energy or if it's just trapped in you or something, but not saying things that you believe in when you feel like you should say them doesn't make them go away. They just get all stacked up inside you and then you get uncomfortable. So I spent a long time not saying, and I was, I've been pretty vocal throughout my life. Like I haven't been scared about saying what I believe in, but you know, I didn't say enough things. I think that I wanted to say that they stacked up a bit and was like, okay, well, that's not working for me. So I don't think it's negative at all, at least mm-hmm. from the piece I'm experiencing within myself. Yeah. I'd say for people on the outside, also, it hasn't really been negative. I don't think there's been any, anything negative about it. I mean, when I first started talking about diet, then there was quite a bit of negativity uh, in the media about it. But also I can understand that, you know, it's an all meat diet. That sounds like crazy to, to most people. So it's like, yeah, there's going to be negativity. So that didn't really bother me. Um, I think the only time it's really bothered me is if they've gone after my dad or. Yeah. The only time it's really bothered me, like there was an interview we did with the Times and they went after my dad's like and his akathisia. And that made me angry. Right. But that's like a pretty low blow. I think most people would get angry if somebody goes after a sick family member. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, there really hasn't been any negative impact yeah. about saying what I think. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I stand behind it. I think it's great. I thought that your interview with the guy recently, um, I don't even want to say his name because I don't really agree with his perspective. I don't really agree with his vibe, his message. Um but, you know, you, you, you had someone on your podcast that was, had said things about you that were disrespectful. Um, they weren't coming from direct information. They were perspectives, they were opinions, and they were, you know, turned into clickbait on the internet. And yep. um, first off, I'm curious why you wanted to have the conversation with somebody like that. That's kind of low blowing. A lot of the issues he addressed like these uh, i don't know conspiracy theories on the internet about my like personal life mm-hmm. he, he basically in the video he made of me the, 
he basically addressed all of them that people have been bugging me about since 2018. So this has been going on for a while, right? Like, and normally I'm not bothered by things on the internet, but because my parents were so ill and I was so, I was so stressed out. Um, like I, I did, I was doing primary care for my dad for like a year and a half, which is brutal. Yeah. And during that time when there's also conspiracy theories about me, like taking over his business or making him sick in the first place, like that was like, and then you, if you have a whole bunch of people like, yeah, you know, this blonde lady's taking over her dad's business, evil, you know, behind the scenes person that bugged me. So I think the reason I had him on was because I was like, okay, I'm just going to address like all these things that people have said over the last number of years. And then if anyone has an issue, they can just go to the, go to the episode and then we don't have to have this conversation anymore. Um, so I thought about it because, and then, and then the other part is I, I'd actually invited him on prior to knowing that he'd actually gone after me about a week before. So he'd already been invited on, but I think I would have invited him on anyway, just so I could address all these issues and then just not think about them anymore. Because otherwise I had this part of me that was like, this needs to be addressed somehow. Like I need to explain because I can kind of see if you've got a really negative perspective of the world and you don't like women (laughs) and maybe you're not a very good person. I can understand how you could view my family in that kind of light. And I was like, I might as well just address it. I don't know if it like changed. It's not going to change anybody's mind that has their mind made up already, but it made me feel better. Good. You that's, I mean, I think that's a good barometer of like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for somebody else or some, something else? And if you feel better, that's great. Yeah. I feel way better. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that's done though. I'm kind of disappointed that he got your airtime for like his platform, which is nothing compared to a lot of people. Um, yeah. And his views were just, you know, it's like almost like the negative attention got him what he wanted attention, like the negative stuff got him attention that he was looking for. It's like, you know, when somebody like stomps their feet and they're like, you know, they want attention for that. It's not good attention, but it's attention, you know, kind of got what he wanted. Like I, the one thing that I said that one thing he said that I thought was just so ridiculous was when he said, um, uh, 29 to 31, if you're 29 to 31 years old as a woman, you just can't compete in the sexual marketplace anymore. And I was like, what? I mean, every woman out there has got to be listening. I mean, being 39, I'm like, so like, I'm nothing, you know? And I thought that some of his perspectives were just so chauvinistic and, you know, they were just tough. And I, I kind of wonder why you didn't get, I kind of wonder why you weren't more mad at him. Like, I was like, come on. It wasn't worth it. Like, it just wasn't worth it. I was mad. Like, I was I was not happy during that entire podcast. Mm. Like, he, like I was, I don't know if I was angry. I'm just, like, tired, more like. Like, it was just tiresome. But there wasn't, I don't know if there was a point of arguing. Like, he, he's, he believes one thing about women, and that is what he believes. And, like, I would say most people who watch his stuff believe that. And I don't know, like, if I argue with him, it's just going to prove their point that, women are like vindictive, angry, you know, people that are emotional and can't, I don't know what they think, but 
I was like, I figured if I just let him talk, he'd show everybody what he was like anyway, which I think he did. I think that's actually a really good point because I definitely got that impression. And I left the impression, I I left that. I mean, the impression was this guy has got ridiculous things that he's saying. And, you know, to say something like that, I thought, dude, that's a you problem. That's not a woman problem. That's not a, how old are you? How old you just turned 30? That's not, you're not less in the sexual marketplace. I'm 39. I'm not less in the sexual marketplace because we're both successful. We're both smart. We're both attractive. We're both ambitious. We're both young and take care of ourselves. Like what? I think I'm better in the sexual marketplace than I used to be. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. You know? (laughs) So I was like, man, that is a you problem. And I think that you know, um, for someone to have such, you know, such distorted perspectives, I think it still shows that there is an aspect of reality and, uh, of, of culture that believes something like that. And, you know, that's kind of where I think guys get a bad name mm-hmm. of, of the patriarchal perspective or, um, chauvinistic. I think that's where that comes from when there's that lack of open-mindedness and such, ridiculous comments said. And I think he represents that. I think he represents that aspect of culture that still exists. Perfectly. Perfect representation of that. Yeah, I know it was, but that's such a tiny percentage of people, right? What'd you um, think? Well, I was a girl race car driver, so I probably got a little bit more of that perspective. You know, I don't, I do. I think it's a tiny perspective, um, in certain cultures and places, but I don't think it's tiny if we're looking at a macro. Hmm. I mean, there's still cultures in the, there's still cultures in the world where women can't show their face or body, you know, I mean, there's still, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, those still exist. So, you know, that's seemingly worse than worse than this then. Um, so I think that, I think that there are a lot of men that, think they're just hanging on to some kind of power. I think that the true power, I think the true revolution of our culture comes when men and women both understand that there are just things that each other does better and like helps each other do them. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I've noticed that. I think I've noticed it a bit running my dad's business because one, I'm his daughter. So I'm, you know, there's automatically this view of me like, okay, well, she's there because she's her, his daughter, which like, to be fair, that's a huge part of it. But a, a lot of it's because I can communicate with my dad really effectively because yeah. he's my dad. Um, but I definitely like when I'm in business negotiations, it's a lot easier, even if the, I'm doing the negotiation to say, yeah, this is what my dad wants. Right. And then it's a completely different argument, which I'm fine with doing because it's more effective. And I've kind of, I think, gotten through the frustration and not being taken as seriously because I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. Right. Like, I'm the daughter of somebody, you know, I've got blonde hair. I'm cute, which I'm happy with. I'd rather be cute than not cute. But like, I can kind of see how that comes off as, you know, and I'm not taking this seriously, but how do I kind of use this to my advantage and just work with it? Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, yeah, there's definitely an issue there um, being taken seriously, I think as a woman the business world. That's what I've experienced anyway, but I've also worked around it. So I'm not sure. I think there are probably downsides of things for everybody. Right. True. Absolutely. If we're talking about the, the pole that then becomes the circle, like, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's the pros and cons to all of it for sure. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I found that interview fascinating. And I, I, I think that you shed some light on a good perspective of sometimes you got to let people dig their own holes. Yeah, which is like, yeah, it was painful, though. I'm not going to lie about that. It was like, oh, this is awful. Like, that was awful. Yeah. But I was just trying to like listen and be like, is there something I'm missing here? Anyway, usually I can like, oh, it, it was awful, but I'm really glad I did it. Like, I'm, I'm really glad it's out. Um, plus, then I can ignore all that because anybody who if anyone goes like after me dramatically. Right. And they know all the information and they're still doing it. There's nothing I can do about it anyway. So they might as well be ignored. You know, it makes me think of what his parents were like, right? Makes you wonder kind of, and this is kind of going to sort of lead into raising kids. And I, you know, you have a daughter, um, but I wonder like, what were the, what was the modeling that someone would have a perspective we're just talking about one perspective that a woman after 29 years old is worthless for in the sexual marketplace, which means as a mother or a wife, probably, or something like that, I'm kind of drawing some conclusions. Um, but to be, be able to say that and have that perspective, it kind of makes me wonder what was like, it doesn't actually, it makes me realize that his parents' perspective, or at least his dad's probably was that, right? Because we kind of follow in those footsteps that becomes our modeling and then I think about like communities and how kids used to be raised more in communities and there used to be more grandparents around and elders yeah. and nieces and nephews and everybody lived close to each other. And that's just not the reality anymore. Like the world is, we're all connected through, you know, our phone, we're connected through our computer. We're all just connected and we can be anywhere. And I think it sort of takes away from that, um, family aspect that used to exist so much. And I'm wondering if you think that this is a, this is a negative culturally that we are not in those communities where kids learn lessons from grandparents, when there's multiple people watching them, where they can learn things from and, and it's a faster learning process and a more, I don't know, I would think you'd have to adapt a lot more as a kid than just your one patterned environment with your mom and your dad, or your maybe you just one parent, which a lot of times yeah. that's the case. Um, or if you think it's a better direction that we're in where we're connected with all this technology, or if we can even bridge the gap and come back with all of it. Yikes. I'd say it's a huge loss, right? Because, well, like you said, if you're raised by one person, you grow up, yeah, learning everything from one person. I assume that a larger group of people raising a kid, you'd be able to identify, oh, people actually disagree too. You know, grandma says this, but my aunt says this, right? And I love them both, you know, right. type of thing. Um, I'd say it, I'd say the biggest, I don't even know if it's just for the kid, but as like, as a mom, it was really hard for me because I didn't have like a community of people to help. So it's like, huh. you know, that like there are people now and they're like, oh, I can't raise a kid. It's like nobody used to be the one raising a kid. Like no wonder people are scared of raising kids. Even if it's like a couple trying to raise a kid, that's hard. Like that's hard. You're not going to sleep. Right. And you like if you don't have help and you're isolated, like no wonder you're scared. People didn't used to do that. They used to have, you know, like you said, their sister or their brother who already had four kids and, you know, they're going oh, relax. It'll be fine. Like have a glass of wine. It's not the end of the world. Instead yeah. of just being isolated at home, being like, how do I keep this alive? You know, my friends are partying. Like 
my parents live across the country, right? Like no wonder people are worried about having kids. It's ridiculous right now. Uh, I don't think there's any, I mean, maybe there's a little bit going back. Like maybe if people change their mind about kids being a hindrance, then maybe that could be reversed a little bit if people started having more kids. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And then with technology, there's no getting rid of that. Right. And like, I've got, I've got an aunt and uncle and they're in Silicon Valley and my uncle's like been at Apple and Intel and everything. And they raised their kids without electronics for a while, but for long enough that it actually, I think probably was a negative because all the other kids knew what they were doing. So it's not like you can isolate your kids from technology without alienating them. So we're not getting rid of technology unless you want to alienate your kids. And I don't know. It looks like we're becoming more and more isolated. (sighs) Yeah. Community is a foundational element. If we're looking at ourselves as, um, you know, we can look at a human as a cell and look at like, you know, cancer and things like that come from a lack of cell communication. Like we're the macro version of the micro, like we need community. It's foundational to our existence that we're meant to be in community and the communities that we're in. I mean, the community of the family gets smaller and then we just kind of get into um, a repeating loop. Usually we, we probably more so find ourselves in these self-affirming loops of people that are just like us. And so therefore the perspectives continue to, to separate more and more because you are not in a family where you're kind of forced to deal with everyone and right. Grandma and grandpa looked at things differently and aunts and uncles or kids and parents. Now we're just like, we're in this, we're, we're in this affirming feedback loop. Yeah. And social media and technology certainly doesn't help that. Cause you're like, Oh, you can just go online and find anybody who agrees with you. Oh, and well, I mean, the algorithms are projecting more and yeah. more you know, what, you know, this the is things what you like, for, right. And they give yeah. you more and they give you more. And like, it's not, you just continue to go down rabbit holes of perspective. And I think that, you know, that's super dangerous. I mean, I think there can be some, po- actually, what are the positives and negatives of social and of, uh, of the, of technology? Because look, like it's they're they're out there and there's a lot of things that come from it, but man, it's, is it at the cost of humanity? I hope not. It's, it's interesting, like some of these things, like fringe ideas, right? You'd say one of the negatives is, you know, social media breeds into these fringe ideas. So you can believe in some insane conspiracy theory and you can find a whole bunch of other people, even if it's just a thousand other people that agree with you. Yeah. And then it's like everybody believes that to you, right? But then one of the benefits is also belief in fringe conspiracy theories, right? Because like even this, even with the paleo diet, which most people are familiar with now, or the keto diet. And there's clear, there are clear benefits in regards to some things for like keto diet, for instance, is proven to help epilepsy. And that's just in the medical literature, right? Um, Those kind of diets have a way easier time taking off because of social media. So some of those things have flourished and those aren't bad things. So (laughs) I don't know, it's so tricky and we can't change it anyway. So we just have to figure out how to adapt. Well, what are your rules for yourself then? I mean, and trying to navigate and keep your sanity and raising a daughter. And I mean, it's a different and different, different reality than it used to be decades ago. Um, If I'm stuck in some sort of echo chamber, I try and expose myself to the opposite of whatever anybody's thinking. 
So that's part of the reason for opposing views too, is because I'm, I'm definitely with a more conservative crowd and I'm living in Nashville, so I can get used to hearing the same ideas, but just like, okay, even if it's kind of painful for me to hear an idea that I'm like fairly firmly sold on the opposite of that, like I'll at least expose myself and talk to some people who believe that and try to understand and recognize when I'm starting to hear the same thing over and over and over again. In regards to Scarlet and social media, I haven't really figured out how to do that at all. And she's not old enough to, for that to be like a huge concern. It's not, I don't know when that becomes a huge concern, but I would assume fairly long, young nowadays, like yeah. you, probably before you're a teenager, maybe like, I don't know when. So I don't know how to deal with social media probably 10, at all. I'm sure. Kids go to school. Yeah, and that's like great. As soon four. as they're at school, they kind of have a phone. So if their you know, parents are late, they can text or they can let them know something. I mean, it's like, how old is Scarlett? Four and a half. And she goes to school and how, she'll be in first grade. Kindergarten, kindergarten. kindergarten next year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure she know. knows how to work your phone. I think phones. She does. She knows YouTube kids. too. I. It's crazy. Like I didn't show her screens for a long time. So the first couple of years, like I really was, I don't know. I was just like, that's bad for some reason. So I didn't show her screens for a long time, but then she must've learned how to use YouTube in like, in a ridiculous amount of time, even skipping ads and things. And you're like, what? You can't even really read, right? Like how does she No, you can't. She's like, just press, press, press. And I was like, this is yeah, this is crazy. my theory. Like, that's intuitive. That they were totally developed by kids because it's following like, you know, uh, like natural cognitive motion patterns and instincts because they just know how to use it so easily. You're going on tour with your dad. Um, are you nervous? I might be nervous before the first show. I don't get very nervous, but I'm just doing the intro and the Q&A. So it's just like, opening on stage for 20 minutes and then asking questions at the end. So it shouldn't be that tricky, but I'm excited. It's really nice to be with my family when everyone's healthy. Look at it like it was really rare and unique or, and really beneficial. Or do you look at it now and think, wow, those things were not necessarily things that kids normally talk about or both. I didn't. I didn't realize that it was weird until I was about 24 and people started telling me it was weird. Um, but it was definitely beneficial. And I think because I was like chronically ill, I think it was more beneficial because I could have been raised in a home that was just, well, where I, I just got felt sorry for kind of, and that wasn't the case at all. It was like, I mean, if anything, I was pushing the other direction too much, but then here I am. So was it too much? I don't know. But I'm extremely grateful for how I was raised for whatever reason. I really believe I can accomplish things. And so I assume that's partly because of how I was raised, right. That, you know, fight back. Yeah. And do what you can. And I think that was instilled in me from my dad at a young age, which is don't let your illness define you like no matter what. Was there ever a point in time with your illness and your dad and his work and working with patients and, was there ever, a, was there ever a thought that anything was psychological? Was that ever a point of contention or a, an idea? Oh, well, I mean, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder when I was in grade six. So yeah, there was definitely a, 
this is a psychological problem, but I mean, I had arthritis so badly. I had my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17. So those were clearly delineated problems. There was just like, you've got major depressive disorder. So does dad. So did my grandpa. So it was like, you have this generational thing and that's a, you know, disorder. You have chronic fatigue because that was a disorder. You've got the arthritis. So they were pretty delineated, but there was definitely a psychological component. There was never the, the only part that kind of got conflated, I would say was when I had chronic fatigue, I was, was, that was awful. Um, I could barely get out of bed. And a lot of that was maybe you're not trying hard enough. And it Mm. turned out that wasn't the case at all. Cause now I don't have chronic fatigue and it's not like I lay around at all ever. So those two kind of got conflated, but I mean, I think that happens unfortunately a lot when people are sick, which is like, how hard do you push them? And what part of them is just, what if part of this is just them whining or laziness. And it turns out only usually none, (laughs) but it happens. None meaning not what? Usually sick people who are whining about being sick usually are actually sick. Right. And that's why they're being whiny about it. Yeah. So you think, so you're then it's a hundred percent a physical thing and other than the depression. I mean, I think that was physical too, because as oh, soon really? as my, in, yeah. as soon as my like inflammation, as soon as the arthritis went away and the chronic fatigue, the depression lifted. So they, it was all the same thing. It was just, my body was not happy for whatever reason with what I was eating, like hmm. really not happy. Um, and that just manifested in different symptoms. So fatigue, depression, arthritis, but it was all, you know, my body not being happy. So, so you're definitely then I would think, believe that diet can help with depression too. Even if oh, you don't 100%, physical- 100%. Yeah. And I never believed that at all until it ha- happened to me. Right. I thought that you could have a serotonin imbalance, right. That's what I was told. And that that's genetic and you're stuck with it, but that's not what I believe anymore at all. Unless something traumatic has happened to you. Like if you just went through something traumatic, you can be depressed. Yeah. Right. But right. if you're depressed and your life is fine, you should probably yeah. start, start looking at diet or lifestyle. Right. Yeah. I mean, even when you look at photos of what people used to look at, look like decades ago, you know, there was generally like reasonably fit people, like maybe they weren't muscular yeah, or something, or but thin. They, were, they were thinner, you know, they kind of had natural straight builds. They weren't bulky, clunky, obese, like they were generally, and like, you got to look at the food, like you got to look at the sick care system. You got to look at food. You got to look at what they put in it and you got to look at what they're, what people are eating. And for the most part, you know, people aren't eating real food. Yeah. It's crazy in America in particular. It's crazy. And they make the worst of the food, the cheapest, which is a perpetuating problem without money. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, it's, that's an epidemic for sure that needs to be resolved or it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It's really sad. And that this is the same thing with like mental health across the country. People are getting more and more depressed and more mentally ill. One in five people are on a psych med and psych meds are almost impossible to get off of. How are you going to solve that problem? Well, between opiates and psych meds we're we're not doing so well. <laughs> no, no. Earth and everything on it is... <laughs> struggling. You know, you've described yourself as like someone that's in a, has an obsessive need for more. And you like, really, you're always wanting to squeeze more out and do more. And so what's that more? Like, what's the next thing? What's the, what are you, what are you calling in? What do you, let's talk, let's use your mom's lingo. Like, what are you calling in? What are you manifesting or maybe praying for? 
Okay. Well, these are things that are actually in the works already. We're working on something called Peterson Academy. And so we have like top experts in their field in humanities and social sciences. And we're going to be filming courses similar to my dad's personality course. So like lecture style courses and putting them on this Peterson Academy platform and trying to take on the universities, provide people with content that's not ideological and that's fascinating from top professors, you know, all over the world. We have a bunch of Cambridge professors lined up. So that is massive. I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be huge. That hopefully is launching in the fall. So that's the main thing I'm going to be working on. I'm finishing my book. I have a couple of products coming out. So I have one. This is crazy too. And it works. I swear it works. But I'm, I'm calling it after party. And it's dihydromyricetin, which can be used for hangovers. Not that I drink, but I used to drink a lot. And I used to use this. Anyway, um, we, we have a mixture. Maybe it, it works fantastically well. I'll have to get better at marketing it instead of just being like, believe me. But anyway, that's in the future. I have <laughs> electrolytes coming out. And then there's the tour and everything. But what am I manifesting? I really like more kids. So how, I somehow squish that in at the same time. Talk me into projects. it. I don't, have, I don't have kids. I'm 39. Why should I have kids? I've never experienced more love for anything than having a kid. So like, I don't know what I would love more than like babies. I don't know. I would like, plus then what are you going to do when you're old? I mean, you could do business forever, but don't you want to have like, see like people running around and have people over for Christmas and things and like watch them grow up and then they have kids and you have grandkids. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything better than that. And I'm pretty motivated by like business and money and opportunity, but but I think that there's a way I, if you're, you know, smart and productive, I think that there's a way that you can do it all right. You have to take time off when you have a kid. Um, but I mean, I'm certainly not going to be stay at home mom and just put my life on hold. Right. But I think that I can, I think I can do it all. So if I can do that, I would like that sometimes. What are you willing to sacrifice? What is your, what's on the, what comes first on the chopping block sacrifice wise to make space for, for this new thing you're calling in? for kids? Um, well, I think what I would do is once I got pregnant is I would start delegating like mad. So I'd have like 10 months to continue keeping everything running and maybe hire somebody and just delegate and delegate and delegate. Well, I'm sure that, you know, based on your mom and praying or meditating or whatever you want to call it, I, you know, I call it manifesting. Um, I'm sure you're going to call in all those things. So, um, thanks for taking the time and your perspectives. And I really love to hear them. And you're, you're a really interesting person to listen to. And don't forget about those opposing views. Come on. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. That was really fun. It was lovely meeting you. All right. Nice to meet you too. Thanks everybody for listening to the pretty intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.